Hello everyone, welcome once again, your facial. <laughs> it's a lovely welcoming face. Hi everyone, welcome to Reason for Hope. We're with you again live for the next hour for your Bible questions for the most part. We've been giving you prophecy updates and updates on things going on in Israel and the Middle East as it relates to scripture and end times and all that good stuff. But we're also here for your questions on the Bible. You can send in your questions through multiple online platforms where we're streaming live. I'll be going over those in just a moment so you know the different ways that you can join us. But you send in your question and we have guests here who love the Lord, they love the Word, they love to answer your questions. So it could be a question on uh, maybe a verse or passage of Scripture that you'd like explained a little more, something you've come across in your own study, a little confused over, uh, maybe something you're going through in your life. How can you honor God with uh, your decisions and directions. You'd like to know what the Bible says about your circumstances, maybe even other worldviews and religions as they relate to the Word and Christianity, anything along those lines. Uh, we just ask that it's an honest question and uh, one that you're looking for an answer straight from Scripture, and we are more than happy to uh, be with you for the next hour to do that. My name is Dave Robson. I'm your host. I'll be on all those platforms as your questions come on in, just watching and waiting. Today we have Pastor Scott Richards, he's the senior pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship with Guilty us. Guilty as charged. Yes, yes. that's you. Yeah, You're yeah. doing well? Yeah, I'm doing great. Yep. Yeah, Good exciting times to be living in, for sure. Yeah. And you'll be giving us a little update in a moment? Oh, yes. Uh, got it. Whoa. Uh, Rush Limbaugh used to call it his stack of stuff, my stack of stuff. Stack it's of stuff. one page. So. Right. Well, we appreciate yeah. you prepping that and sharing that with us. Yeah. Also with us, Pastor Sean Richards, the, the junior. How are you doing? Slightly backlogged, but I think I'm okay. Okay, good. <laughs> Thanks for being with us as well. We appreciate you guys and your just a faithfulness to this ministry. As I mentioned, and yours too. Yeah. Oh well, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Well, thanks. Yeah. Appreciate yeah. that. I'm just the host. You don't need to say that. <laughs> yes. But if you weren't here, I might have to be pushing buttons. So <laughs> That's I don't, true. I don't underestimate your contribution. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. These are fun buttons to press. But uh, well, as I mentioned, reason for hope is. Uh, a live broadcaster with you Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. here in Tucson, Arizona. It's uh, part of uh, Calvary Christian Fellowship here in Tucson, a ministry outreach of Calvary Christian Fellowship. If you're in the Tucson area, you're more than welcome to come and join us. Uh, we have Sunday services and a Wednesday evening service. We're a Calvary Chapel church, and as you're mostly fine, maybe 100% of the time, in fact, we teach verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book through the Bible. We pick a book and we go through it and we move on to the next one. We want to share with you the whole counsel of God. So that's kind of a distinctive of what we do. So if you want to grow in the word and worship with us, of course, and fellowship and lots of other events and things going on, you can check us out, calvarychristianfellowship.com and get more information there. Um, I'll certainly send in a question through um, these other fields I'll be sharing. Uh, but if you go to that Watch Live tab on our website, that will take you to our live page or the direct link. If you would like to type this straight into your browser, ccftucson.online.church. We'll take it to the same place. We are streaming live right now, so you'll see the video. You can sign in with a username, and there'll be a chat function where you can send in your question there, and I'll be right there with you. When we're offline, you'll see a countdown to our next event and a schedule as well of upcoming events as well. We are live on Facebook, facebook.com slash Tucson, or just look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. Uh, like and, um, uh, and share, we'd appreciate that as we grow this ministry and continue to reach out with it. If you've been blessed, just pass it on. Pay it forward, as they say these days, and then you can send your question in in the chat function um, that's uh, with the video there. So Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson on Facebook. We have an app as well. If you look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson in your app store, look for that red background with the white Calvary Chapel Dove logo, and you can download that. 
watch us on your cell phone or mobile device. And then if you have Roku or Apple TV, we have a channel as well. So if you look in your channel store, once again, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, and uh, you can watch us on your big screen as well. We're live on YouTube as well, Lord willing. A Reason for Hope is the name of the channel, A Reason for Hope on YouTube. If you go to that live tab, anytime we've been live, it archives there. So that's a great place for immediate archives. If you want to recap a question or you missed a show or want to check out some of our other live events, that's all right there if you're on YouTube. Once again, we appreciate if you liked and subscribed and uh, click on the notification bell and all those kind of things. Uh, Pastor Scott here is on Twitter, Scott R4H. I'm sorry, it's just a absolute hubbub of goings on. Um, it's probably a more uh, immediate way to get some updates. Uh, what's going on in the world? So if a lot of traffic there. Yeah. For sure. Oh, I bet. Yeah. yeah, I bet. And there's a lot of different opinions as well um, as well, <laughs> what's going <laughs> yes. on. I mean, as yes. with everything from the sublime to the ridiculous, as Absolutely. they say. Yeah. So yeah. So I appreciate Scott for his perspective, biblical perspective, as well. It helps us sift through um, all those different voices and um, you know perspectives as well. So Scott R4 H on Twitter. If you'd like to follow along, we're on Rumble as well, not live, but we post video content there. A Reason for Hope Bible Q&A on Rumble. And then our email address, questionsforhope at gmail.com. Questions for Hope spelled out at gmail.com. You can email us your question there as well or, um, you know, anytime or any other email you'd like to send in to us. If you're listening to us on the radio, we're sure glad that you're tuning in. Drive safe if you're on your drive time. And keep in mind that you're listening to the last show that we did pre-recorded. So all those other uh, platforms I mentioned, we are live, but on the radio with you, you are a day behind basically. But uh, keep that email address in mind, questionsforhope at gmail.com, and we'll get to your question on the next show. So whatever platform you've joined us on, we are certainly glad that you're joining us. We are going to do a bit of a prophecy update today, but if you have a question on the Bible or anything that's been shared in the, in the update, uh, send those in. I'll make note of those, and towards the end of our show, we'll get to some of your questions, I'm sure. So um, thank you all for being with us. Pastor Scott, would you like to pray for us today? I would certainly love to do that. That would be great. Father, thank you that we can invite your presence here. And Lord, uh, without your presence, without uh, your word, we are spinning our wheels. So Lord, help us to stay in our lane, uh, to allow your truth to be able Mm -hmm. to speak. We pray, Father, that it would be spoken in love. Uh, that grace and truth uh, that are so evident in the life of Jesus would be evident in this broadcast today because your spirit's here. And Lord, your spirit is here to guide us into all truth. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity in uh, these uh, very distracting and even distressing days to have a foundation for our faith that will not fail us, that foundation we have, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Help us to stay focused on this priceless treasure that is your word, uh, especially in these troublesome times. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, hit us with it. Well, as uh, (laughs) the... uh, the cornball song love story began. Where do I begin? Mm-hmm. Uh, lots and lots going on in the news today. Uh, really uh, interesting. A lot is happening in the news today, uh, I think, of prophetic significance because it directly impinges upon uh, the destiny of Israel. Uh, as we often remind you here, Israel is God's hour hand as far as God's prophetic program is concerned. Jerusalem is the minute hand, and uh, the Temple Mount itself is the second hand and so lots and lots pertaining to israel that we want you to be aware of uh if you're with us at calvary christian fellowship of tucson last night uh you were um, uh, we had the opportunity to go through the book of ezekiel chapter 38 the famous gog and magog 
invasion of Israel, which we mm-hmm. believe is yet in the future. In fact, uh, we'll explore this a little bit more next week, but I think there is uh, pretty compelling evidence in the prophecy to uh, suggest that this is going to happen in the midway point of the tribulation period, where peace is taken uh, from the earth. Uh, the Antichrist uh, puts his cards on the table and uh, declares war on the Jews from that time onward. Uh, having said all of that, uh, we certainly do see a lot of prophetic things happening that would tell us uh, that uh, some of the major players of this prophecy, including Russia itself, are certainly uh, being sent to their marks, if you will, on the stage. Uh, Russia getting involved with this conflict, a uh, number of very uh, interesting eyebrow-raising uh, stories coming out of Russia right now. The Wall Street Journal, for instance, reported that uh, the United States now has intelligence that Russia's Wagner Group is considering sending the SA-22 air defense system to Hezbollah. Now, Hezbollah is uh, the uh, kind of 800-pound gorilla of the terrorists in that region. They operate out of Lebanon. We'll talk a little bit more about them in a moment. But uh, the Wagner Group might be familiar to some of you who've uh, uh, taken an interest in following along with what's gone on in the war between Russia and Ukraine. Uh, The Wagner Group is a mercenary group. Uh, They are a group that is hired out to uh, fight battles uh, for Russia. Uh, The head of the Wagner Group uh, died under mysterious conditions in an explosion on an airplane uh, that was flying to uh, Moscow. But the Wagner Group continues in good stead, hitting on all cylinders. And the idea of sending an SA-22 air defense system to Hezbollah, the SA-22 is uh, the uh, latest and greatest air defense system that Russia has at its disposal. So that would certainly uh, be something that would uh, shift the balance of uh, power and uh, possibilities in terms of a war coming up mm-hmm. between the uh, terrorists in Lebanon and uh, Israel. There's been uh, sporadic firing going on during the day. Israel's responded in one case taking out a Hezbollah position and uh, killing over 200 Hezbollah terrorists in the process. So uh, it's not as if things aren't happening in northern Israel. A couple of rockets launched from that area, one hitting a suburb of Tel Aviv near Ben Gurion Airport and uh, did some serious damage uh, during the day. Uh, Vladimir Putin is uh, showing up on the scene. He announced uh, interestingly enough, from an Ezekiel 38 and 39 point of view, that Russia is uh, revoking its uh, participation in the nuclear test ban treaty. Uh, now, uh, you know, we would say, well, okay, well, what direct impact does this have? Well, this allows Russia to be able to test nuclear weapons and upgrade their nuclear technology and test it at, uh, at will. Uh, I think it's really kind of a form of saber-rattling, Uh, I think any uh, of the major powers, the major nuclear powers, including the United States, that want to test a nuclear weapon uh, certainly have ways of testing them and keeping it all under wraps. Uh, This is just bringing it out in the open. But wait, there's more. Vasily Nabenzia, Russia's ambassador to the UN, uh, made this statement tonight. If you have any doubt as to where Russia stands on the conflict between Hamas and Israel. He said this, Israel is an occupying power. It has no right to self-defense. Now, uh, that is a very, very strong 
statement, and I think it shows that Russia has moved off of uh, the possibility of maintaining a neutrality in this particular set of events. Uh, it's definitely going all in uh, with Hezbollah. Uh, you know, again, uh, as far as what's going on in Israel, this is probably the most important headline uh, that we need to pay attention to. Uh, the uh, head of uh, the Hezbollah guerrillas, Hassan Nasrallah, is scheduled to speak tomorrow, November 3rd, uh, his first speech made on the conflict going on between Hamas and Israel at 3 o'clock. You might say, well, what in the world does that have to do with the price of tea in China? Well, an awful lot if you happen to be one of those who uh, follows along the path of what we would call Shiite Islam. You see, the number 313 has important meaning according to the Shiites. Uh, this is the number of commanders who will accompany the Imam Mahdi. Now, for those of you not familiar with the Imam Mahdi, uh, he is called the 12th Imam in Shiite Islam by their reckoning. Uh, he is supposed to be the Imam of Imams, a divine, almost divine being who will come on the scene out of being in uh, seclusion in a uh, well in the holy city of Qum for years and years and years. He is going to show himself at the height of global conflict and lead the forces of Islam to victory. Interestingly enough, according to Shiite Islam, their version of Jesus, Isa, will go before this uh, uh, Imam Mahdi and perform miracles and rout the forces of the West that are arrayed against Islam. Any of the infidels will be routed by him. So along with the Imam Mahdi, along with Isa, there are going to be 313 uh, commanders that are going to go along uh, and be part of uh, this uh, military conquest of the world. Now, one of the things you need to understand is like even 9-11 was incredibly significant to the, uh, the people that carried out that attack. They tend to want to do their attacks either on anniversary days or on numbers days that have an awful lot to do with what we would call uh, Islamic numerology. And so uh, the 313 has everything to do with the amount of commanders that are going to accompany the Imam Mahdi on his attack. Uh, this answers a really important question. Uh, the, all the intelligence that we have received about what's going on in the Middle East indicated that as soon as Israel uh, finished staging their troops outside of Gaza, as soon as they invaded onto Gaza soil, uh, that uh, Hezbollah would respond uh, according to the uh, direction of uh, their puppet masters in Tehran, their wholly owned subsidiary, the mad uh, mullahs up there that they would attack Israel with their very significant and formidable uh, weapons that they have in Lebanon, over well over 200,000 rockets, uh, many of them very sophisticated and uh, precisely uh, guided rockets are uh, part and parcel of uh, Hezbollah's uh, arsenal. They also have many, many terrorists at their disposal, uh, trained uh, individuals that have uh, studied war under the tutelage of uh, the Iranian Republican uh, Guard units. Uh, in fact, uh, we are told that the head of the Iranian Republican Guard units has just uh, left 
Beirut. He has been in there uh, in consultation with Hezbollah for the last couple of days. So why hasn't uh, Hezbollah launched this attack? I think there's evidence to suggest that this uh, Islamic numerology comes into play here until we have the uh, third day of November, the first speech at three o'clock, uh, then and only then is the go-ahead going to be for a full-scale assault on uh, Israel. So uh, definitely, if you are of a mind to pray or even fast and pray, this is a great time to be doing that for the protection of Israel and God's people. Uh, along uh, with other uh, developments, uh, Khalid Mashal, who uh, is the one of the leaders of Hamas, his uh, net worth is over $4 billion. He is uh, currently directing operations of Hamas, uh, comfortably ensconced in a seven-star hotel in the uh, Gulf state of Gutter, not anywhere near the battle. Uh, but according to him, he said October 7th has paved the way for the elimination of Israel. He went on in the same statement to say Russia and China can do more to help us. This is our chance to eliminate the American monopoly of power in the entire world. Well, prophetically significant on a couple of different levels. If Nasrallah, if uh, I should say uh, 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 Mashal is correct, and this ends up uh, redistributing the level of power, we can probably come up with another answer to the question, why is the United States mentioned in biblical prophecy? Uh, top Hamas leaders uh, that are on scene, that are given the orders in this particular battle, are hiding underneath a place called the Shifa Hospital in Gaza. Now, they made a back-channel request to Israel, saying they would be willing to turn themselves in if they would be deported to Lebanon or Syria. Israel responded in two ways. They said, no and heck no. Uh, mm -hmm. These individuals are spotted here. Now, this tells us quite a bit about what's going on as far as the invasion of Gaza that is happening here. Uh, Israel, at the time of this broadcast, has just succeeded in completing a complete encirclement of uh, the area we would know as northern Gaza, including this Shifa Hospital. Now, the Shifa Hospital is important because the main commanders, the main command and control center, as far as uh, directing Hamas in their operations in Gaza, is located uh, not only in the top story, but also in the uh, basement structure of this particular hospital. Uh, one of the reasons that Hamas does this is if Israel goes after this particular structure, they can say to the world, oh, see, the Israelis are attacking hospitals. They love to bomb hospitals. Oh, they are barbarians. You need to side with us. Well, uh, they don't mind putting doctors and nurses and patients' uh, lives on the line as human shields. But what Israel is doing is they've surrounded this area, and now the operations that are going on after this could rightly be described as tightening the noose. Uh, they are going to move more and more into this area, probably not attack the Shifa hospital from the air, but from the ground and take out the command and control centers. Uh, but having done that, understand something. You know, we hear about the tunnel system that has been built in Gaza. By the way, this tunnel system never used 
as, say, an air raid shelter for the average Gazan, the average Palestinian who lives in Gaza, only used to store military weapons, only used to be able to transport terrorists from point A to point B, only used to outflank uh, Israeli soldiers who are uh, invading here. How uh, intricate is this uh, tunnel system? Well, uh, according to Israeli intelligence, there are 1,300 tunnels that stretch for a distance of 311 miles and reach 70 meters deep or 229 meters deep below the surface, uh, outside the range of of all but uh, what we would call bunker-busting bombs. Now, there's one fatal flaw in this tunnel system. It needs gas, that is petroleum, to run generators that power the ventilation system. So while there is food and water in Gaza, as well as electricity in most areas, gas, petroleum, is very hard to find. Why? Because the IDF, in their strategy, has confiscated all the gas they can find. If you have no gas, you have no ventilators. If you have no ventilators, you have no air. Uh, The terrorists will be forced to either leave their structure that they've spent so much time building, or suffocate uh, in uh, an airless environment down there. Uh, speaking of Iran, uh, and uh, I, I, I find this almost as humorous as uh, our own government announcing that they were going to be doing an initiative to uh, counter what they called the uh, outbreak of Islamophobia that is going on in our country right now. Uh, there is no outbreak of Islamophobia. There certainly is an outbreak of anti-Semitism by the way, in this country, uh, we saw, for instance, how uh, the uh, uh, editor of the Harvard Law Review was caught on uh, video assaulting a, an individual for no other reason than the fact that he was Jewish and he was on the Harvard campus. We're seeing this across the board uh, on uh, major campuses, especially in the Ivy League today. But uh, as far as anti-Semitism goes, it's not just a problem in the United States. I think we are once again trying to solve the wrong problem we talk about Islamophobia. We talked about that yesterday, how uh, we have uh, every right to criticize the term Islamophobia because a phobia is an irrational fear. It is something that is not based upon the facts. Uh, when one studies Islam and discovers what the aims and uh, the example of Muhammad uh, was and uh, what a faithful Muslim is expected to do, according to their primary documents, uh, we've got a lot to fear from Islam. Uh, certainly there are cultural mus- Muslims who say, well, you know, it's my religion, but I don't take it all that seriously. There are some that uh, are educated, they understand what it teaches, but certainly I wouldn't put it into practice. But then there is uh, what we call the uh, last uh, part of the triangle of radicalization. Someone who knows, uh, is culturally a Muslim, knows what the Quran teaches, and decides, I am going to act and follow in the footsteps of Muhammad. That is what we call a jihadi or a terrorist. So, yeah, uh, if you take this religion seriously, the way it is laid out, uh, there's only one hope of heaven that you actually have, and that is dying in jihad. That's the only way you can guarantee that that's the case. So if you believe that, uh, you're going to act on that and understand something. The way our borders have been open in the United States to literally let anybody in, 
there's no telling how many individuals, uh, not just individuals from Latin America, but from all over the world, uh, have been able to successfully infiltrate the United States. So uh, we may actually see, and Christopher Wray, the head of the FBI, cautioned that we may see terrorist activity begin to happen in the United States. Pray for our intelligence services that they're able to stop these things before they start. But uh, once again, you believe that sort of thing. It's not irrational to have a fear of Islam. It's irrational to have a fear of Muslims because most Muslims I've met are cultural Muslims. They're some of the sweetest, most generous people you ever want to meet. Uh, but there are those who take this whole thing very, very seriously, deadly seriously, one might say. So we have to be very careful of that. Uh, in Europe, uh, for instance, talking about anti-Semitism, uh, talking about a real uh, problem that is going on. Uh, in Germany, cases of anti-Semitism have risen 240% since the invasion of Gaza. In Austria, 300%. In South Africa, 720%. And in the UK, over 1,351%. Right before airtime, there was a picture of a huge Muslim demonstration of individuals bowing down and saying their prayers and, uh, again, praying for victory against the infidel. It wasn't from Tehran. It was from London. You can look that up and take a look at it online. Uh, so lots going on, lots of things that are pretty distressing. But I wanted to wrap up this prophecy update by sharing with you uh, one thing we got to remember no matter what happens no matter how distressing or dire the circumstances might seem to us god is in control and he has some very unsubtle ways of uh showing it uh our good friend amir Sirfati passes along this report from an idf soldier is among the first to be called up uh, when the terrorist attacks on israel took place out of gaza he wrote this it's been a few weeks, but I have some time now, and I wanted to write about a miracle that happened to me during those first few days of hell. My unit was called up on Shabbat on Saturday morning. No official emergency call, no paperwork sent, no official order, nothing. Our brigade commander said that uh, the South needed a battalion to respond ASAP, and he told us to come in. I quickly got my gear together and said goodbye to my wife and ran to the car. Some hours later, we boarded Humvees and headed straight to the Israeli border community of Kafar Atza. Our weapons had been handed to us on the spot. We had never shot them, didn't have time to clean them. We had no idea if they worked or if uh, the sights were zeroed in. They definitely weren't at that point. The weapons in the reserve units are notorious for being unreliable and usually don't even shoot properly before a good clean or in some cases a visit to the armory. That's how we went into combat. We walked into the village and we were engaged by terrorists within the first few minutes. Minutes later, we encountered one hiding in a bush with an AK-47 waiting to ambush us. My rifle worked perfectly, firing every shot, cycling every round, hitting every target that I was aiming at, not a single jam. I thank God for giving me a rifle that worked right without delay. After three days of fighting, I had learned to rely on my rifle completely. On Tuesday night, we were finished clearing Kafar Atza and were switched out by another battalion. And we were sent to a base so that we could rest, shower, and finally clean and check our weapons. We went to the range and immediately my gun jammed. Another round, another jam, another, and another. They were getting worse. I had to take out the pliers on my utility knife to clear them. We ended up having to take the gun to the armory so all the internal parts could be replaced. The gun basically needed a total rebuild 
from the inside. The gun just didn't work. It was a broken rifle, and it was broken from the moment it was handed to me on Shabbat morning. But for me, in those few days in Kafar Atza, it worked to perfection so we could do what we needed to do. I've heard similar stories from many other soldiers in our battalion. I look forward to the day when I can stand in my synagogue on Shabbat and express my immense gratitude for this miracle and the countless others that God has performed for us. So God is still on the throne. He is still in control. He watches over Israel, neither slumbers nor sleeps. Amen. Amen to that. Thank you. Uh, Amazing. A, yeah. yeah, I had a comment from, from Mike. He says, a lot of people I listen to think the Antichrist will be the Islamic Messiah. It would make yeah. a lot of sense. Do you have any comments on that? Uh, what, I think what, it's a non-starter for a couple reasons, but go ahead. Now, just to be brief, when it comes to all the bizarre and borderline like inverse parallels to the Imam Mahdi, specifically in Shia Islam. If you go to the majority of Muslims that are Sunni, their view of the end times figure known as the Mahdi is vague at best, and the sources aren't all that reliable, but that's the religion for you. When it comes to the bizarre parallels, remember three important things that kind of throw a monkey wrench in this Islamic Antichrist theory. First and most importantly, remember that the book of Revelation and a very plain view of the end times was and had been fully accessible, put into writing, and distributed throughout the known world by the 6th century when Islam was just in its infancy. So if someone were to flip it on its head, they wouldn't just... And again, we'll grant this as much. It could be possible that someone with access to the Christian scriptures, but only going off of the demonic voices in their head, would see an inverse prediction of these sort of things. The twisting of doctrine doesn't mean it's a legitimate prophecy any more than someone, for instance, misquoting scripture is producing some new revelation from the devil. It is false doctrine by no means, but it doesn't mean it's from Satan, and it doesn't mean that it's accurate. Those three things don't all have to be happening at once. When it comes to the understanding then of Islamic sources putting together these mystical and mysterious views of the 12th descendant of Ali, that's the Imam Mahdi, the uh, idea was basically just to cover up an embarrassing battle in which one of their more significant royal figures ended up being uh, declared missing and ultimately dead after a battle and to save face, which is the policy of the East in general, they uh, said that it was actually prophesied that he'd return. That is another possible explanation of these prophecies to begin with, and then borrowings from Christian sources could take place. The third and I think biggest issue, and again, the, not that the first two were without substance, but when people are making predictions of, ooh, this could be the Antichrist, ooh, this can be the Antichrist, the term Antichrist is one of the least used names in reference to the man of perdition, the beast from the sea, the cruel king of the north, the Assyrian, and plenty of other titles that are attributed to this end times figure. The Antichrist only describes one thing that every false teacher and every false teaching that has put itself forward throughout history has had in common, and that's what? against Christ. And you can read this in 1 John 2 and 4. So if the spirit of Antichrist, which I will not deny is certainly in Islam, people look at these end times prophecies, which are definitely prominent in Shia Islam, but fringe in all other sects, 
we need to take at face value the fact that if we're going to be giving any false teaching, any false religion, the same amount of credit, then we're going to be spending more time speculating about the Antichrist than Jesus Christ, and that's not good fruit. If, on the other hand, we are inconsistent in our handling of Scripture and give so much attention to Islam over all other Antichrist religions like Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Christian Science, and so forth, then we end up only banking on three principles, and that is what? That those will be beheaded for their testimony. Now note, is it true that Muslims have made it a divinely mandated institute for beheading those who don't believe and adhere to its principles? Certainly. Our Marine Corps uh, had leather armor around their necks because our first war with the Barbary pirates specifically were using that as their combat style and striking the necks of the infidels in line with the Quran. So noting predictability on that point. If the people who will lose their lives during the tribulation are beheaded, then would it fit that Islam would follow that MO? Certainly, just like the communist French just like the Babylonians, just like the Persians, just like the Assyrians, just like pretty much anyone who's ever been cruel to a prisoner ever, headhunters in you know, New Guinea or whoever could be the Antichrist by that logic. It's not consistent. The second is, of course, that like every other false religion, they would make themselves above any other god and honor a god of fortresses or war, that they would enforce their religion through violence and bloodshed. Well, once again, that's been true of all pagan religions in history. They determined their god's influence based on their capacity to win wars and battle. That's true for the Norse pagans, the Roman pagans, the Aztecs, and so forth. So it's not consistent. You need to play by rules that you set out and ask, well, does this only apply to Islam then? And third, and most significantly, this is where the list ends. There's more that we know about the Antichrist than just the fact that these little nitpicked details, and even to the well-intended efforts of people like Don Richardson, who wrote extensively on the parallels between end times in Islam, Shia Islam specifically, and the Antichrist, of, or the beast from the sea, excuse me, from Revelation 13. Don Stewart? Uh, Don Richardson. Okay. Did I say Stewart? No, I, I was wondering if it was Don Stewart. No, Don, Don Richardson was the guy who wrote uh, Peace Child. Yeah, so. I might be uh, fudging a name then, but there's Dom. an individual out yeah, there. Yeah, stick with Dom. Yeah. It seems safe. Yeah. Point being made yeah. is this, yeah. though. When yeah. we're examining all these things, I'll, I'll look it up real quick. But when it comes to these things, I've given them a fair hearing. I've read what I had the patience to from their sources, and ultimately it ends up falling short because of two things. One, it gives way too much credit to Islam. And two, it just doesn't hold water if applied to literally any other religion by these uh, criteria, I think is the best way to put it. So yeah, people can make comments. People can bring treasures from the storehouse of ignorance, or even worse, limited information. But that's the worst thing you can do in academia. The most, uh, I guess, deceptive person is someone who knows just enough to be convincing, but not enough to be accurate. Yeah. We don't want to fall into that trap. So when it comes to this, does the do the adherence, I'll make my, sure my grammar is correct, adherence of Islam have room to be used by the Antichrist or in this generation? Do they fit some criteria that could eventually end up being the Antichrist? 
I don't deny that, but quite frankly, I don't care. I'm not going to be around to see it. I have every confidence that the rapture is true. And if we're going to be taken out, then my focus is what Titus chapter 2 commands us all to do, to look for and hastening the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, not to fudge around with details and say, well, is it the prime minister of France? Is it uh, the... Uh, King Juan Carlos of Spain. Yeah, he I'll, was I'll big for a while. Whatever it, happened to him? <laughs> yeah. Probably the same thing happened to all the other theories, but the point being made is that. I don't give it a lot of credit. Let me uh, look up the name of the individual I was my, thinking of. My, my personal favorite is Klaus Schwab, oh. because he comes across like a Bond villain. Yeah. Yeah. Good really, name for really a spooky looking kind of guy but yeah, <laughs> no, right. no I, i'm not advocating that um you know a couple things about it uh, joel richardson okay. will, will, oh. <laughs> will yeah we even will, had the don part wrong yeah All will right. uh will the antichrist uh, be muslim uh well you know we're basically told a couple things in scripture first of all the antichrist is going to be part of uh, the same people that destroyed the Jewish temple in AD 70. We know that was Titus and his Roman legions, so that makes it very unlikely. The other thing that uh, we need to understand is that the Antichrist is going to cooperate in the first part of the tribulation period with a one-world religious system uh, described in Revelation 17 as Mystery Babylon. Uh, in fact, he's going to find it somewhat of a hindrance to actually accomplishing what he wants to have done. Uh, at, one, at a certain point, he's going to tire of it, no longer need it, uh, cast it aside and burn it with fire, and so on, and declare himself God to be worshipped. Now, uh, there's no uh, kind of bridge in Islam uh, that gets you from here to there. Uh, the interesting thing, though, about the Imam Mahdi and the idea of him uh, and having Isa or Jesus, as he is uh, known in Islam, going before him and doing miracles. It could be, in a sense, part of a prophetic setup because the question always comes up, okay, uh, Muslims say that uh, there's no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. How in the world are they going to start following the Antichrist? Mm. Well, if the Antichrist comes on the scene and he's got this protege who is the false prophet, uh, the uh, again, the one that looks like a lamb, uh, has horns, but speaks like a dragon, mm. uh, according to the book of Revelation chapter 13. That could be something that is kind of a sales point, saying, well, see, you know, the, the, this uh, the setup here, you know, we got the big guy, and we've got his protege, and, you know, and so on. Uh, you know, probably the, the best way to keep all this in mind is we're never told to speculate on who the identity of the big A Antichrist is. Mm. But we are told in Scripture to always be aware of little a Antichrists. In the book of 1 John, chapter 2, and verse 18, John writes, Little children, it's the last hour. And as you've heard, the Antichrist, the big A Antichrist, is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come, by which we know it is the last hour. In other words, uh, what John is warning us about is that there's going to be one big A Antichrist, who's going to be the embodiment of the lie, you shall not die, you shall be as gods. But there's gonna be a lot of little antichrists that run around, little protégés of the antichrist, uh, putting forth their own little spins on doctrine to try to teach us things about God that aren't true regarding God, regarding ourselves, whatever it means to know God in a personal way. And so we've gotta be on guard that uh, we don't get taken in by them. And the funny thing is in 1 John chapter two, 
John says, uh, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For they have been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might be made manifest that they were not of us. Uh, in other words, these little antichrists are going to come out of largely Christian backgrounds, Christian mm. worldviews, Christian circles. And when you think about you know, the major Mongo cult groups of this world, every one of them uh, has some kind of uh, Christian roots or association uh, behind it, uses Christian jargon and so on. So uh, I think we, we definitely see that. But the good news is, John says, you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. I've not written you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and that no lie is of the truth. We have the Holy Spirit in us. Uh, if someone comes to us and is promoting that kind of antichrist doctrine, uh, that uh, discernometer is going to go off. And the best way to make sure your discernometer is finely tuned is to know God's truth. Uh, don't spend all your time necessarily studying cults and isms. Uh, spend your time getting to know God's truth. And when a lie comes along, stand out like a sore thumb. Unless you're called to that particular field, then equipping yourself for it might help. But don't yeah. uh, think that, you know, you have to be responsible for every lie. Know the truth. Yeah, exactly. Got it. Great. Thank you. A uh, question from Hannah just came in. I've heard those teaching from the Bible. Pastors and scholars say that neither Satan nor his demons can reside where God is and therefore not affect the mind and thoughts of a believer since we have the Holy Spirit residing within us. But I've also um, had Christians advise me not to believe negative thoughts or concerns, saying that that was the deceiver telling me lies. So which is true? What level of influence does Satan and, the, and uh, his demons have on us? Well, yeah. there's like three truths and a lie in like a third of the sentence. So let, let's just break down some inaccuracies here. First of all, the idea that Satan and the fallen angels or messengers can't exist in the presence of God, well, that's yeah. false. In Revelation chapter 12, we're <laughs> told that they will be cut off from that point at a fixed period in time, but they always seek to accuse us, that's what Satan names literally means, before the Father. That's denoting some sort of presence there. Uh, as to whether or not the fact they would be in the presence of the Lord would somehow mean then that they can affect the thoughts of a believer, I don't understand how that's a connection to conclude rightly that first John chapter 4 and verse 4 says greater is he who is in you the greater is he who is in the world that that principle means that the wicked one can't touch you therefore the wicked one can't be in the presence of God those two things aren't mutually inclusive we're talking about them being in the presence of the Lord in heaven and God putting as we read in the book of Joel chapter 1 a hedge around us protecting Satan's influence towards us insofar as what he will allow. Right. And the idea that God would promote or allow false doctrine or even possession of his people is just a non-starter. Going, I guess, into the rest of the question, because I'm having trouble tracking with this, but I've also had Christians advise me not to believe negative thoughts or concerns, saying this deceiver telling me lies. I think what I, would, what I would think that I, have to do with? Well, I think I get it. Um, you know, there's a... Uh, you know, in some Christian circles, they'll say, uh, you know, if say you go, oh, I'm such an idiot. Um, you'll say, ah, wait a minute. Um, you know, that's a fiery dart from the wicked one. That's Satan trying to tell you something about yourself that isn't true. You shouldn't say those sort of things. You shouldn't mm -hmm. give them a place within, my, within your heart. You probably have encountered similar 
they yeah, like negative confession yeah, kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, you know, saying, "Oh man, you know, I think I'm coming down with a cold." They go, "Ah, oh, don't, don't, don't say speak that into the universe uh, because you're yeah. creating your reality with your words." The word faith movement teaches uh, a lot of this. Now, like any heresy, any corruption, uh, the word faith movement uh, has a kernel of truth in it. In that uh, we are to fill our minds with God's truth. Uh, we are to be people uh, that allow the Word of God to dwell in us richly. And uh, again, we're told, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You may approve what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. In other words, we, we have uh, a, an important thing uh, that God has given to us, and it's our mind. It's the, our mind's ability to be able to perceive truth and to uh, discern truth from error and God wants to renew our minds according to his word according to his truth and so there is that element of truth in that if we believe things about ourselves about God or, or about others uh, or even about Satan that are false it's going to certain uh, certainly end up uh, leading us in some bad directions we have to be on guard uh, for these sort of things uh, you know again rightly dividing the word of truth uh, but to be able to, to say then, well, because that's true, uh, any kind of negative confession you have, you speak something like that, you're speaking something into reality. Nowhere in Scripture does it say such things. Uh, you know, in fact, uh, we see sometimes the greatest miracles happen when people are least expecting them. Uh, to wit, uh, Jonah going and preaching at Nineveh. He not only didn't want to go to Nineveh, he not only didn't want to see the Ninevites repent, but after he got done preaching and he saw that they were repenting, he even went up on a hill to see if God was going to turn around and see things his way. Uh, so uh, Jonah certainly didn't uh, speak, if you will, uh, things into existence. In fact, he kind of got mad at God and say, see, isn't this what I told you when I was back at Joppa? I knew that you were going to be uh, merciful to these people because that's just your nature that's the way you are well that's and, that new testament yeah, god i yeah, want the oh wait yeah so so anyway uh you know one of the things that we really have to be careful of the word faith movement in inevitably leads into doctrines like well you are a god class being and because god spoke the universe into existence you can speak your uh life into existence uh no uh that's one Oprah. god and we're not him uh, one of the fundamental lies that Satan has always told us is you shall not die, but you shall what? Be as be God. As God. Mm -hmm. and so uh, really have to be careful uh, about all of that. But I think I understand the, the, the gist of your question. Uh, you know, so should I be careful about what I say? Yeah. You know, again, let your speech be grace seasoned with salt. So you might have the right answer for everyone. Jesus said in uh, Luke chapter 6 and verse 45, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What we say does matter, but it doesn't matter on the same level with uh, God creating reality. Yep. That doesn't mean you're possessed either. Yeah. So, right. Right. yeah. Makes sense. Yep. Great. Well, thank you, Hannah, for that question. Great question. I hope that helps you out with that issue. A uh, question from Mike. I have a question about why God would not answer a prayer to be helped and strengthened against a particular sin. 
Uh, could it be part of me still uh, wants it, wants the sin, so he doesn't answer, or is, or he is answering the prayer and I'm not seeing it? So it happens a lot with different sins and addictions. You know, we pray for God to take it away and He doesn't. Are we is He wanting us to do the work, or what's kind of going on there? Well, I guess the idea that well, I still want my sin, therefore God can't deliver me from it. Well, then none of us would be delivered from any sin ever, because we wouldn't be struggling with that sin if we didn't want it. Uh, the idea of God kind of changing your heart, or you know, sometimes you just experience in your life you come to know the Lord, or you've been around with the Lord for a long time, and you just kind of look around and look within, and you look back, and you're like. How long has it been since I've struggled with that? I remember that had a real problem with me, and I've just been loving God so much I haven't noticed that 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 is uh, like a switch turning off deal. God's changed your heart, and mm -hmm. you can thank Him for that. But there's other things, and we talk about this a lot in our church's purity group, where God just kind of lets us continue to come to Him again and again and again with the same sin, and we think, oh, well, this shows that God's not working my life at all. No, the fact that you still care about this thing is, first of all, impossible without the Holy Spirit. First check. But the second issue, and I think it's really important for people who are struggling with purity in any department, whether it's food, whether it's sex, whether it's drugs, whether it's anything, you still struggle with this, and you're asking God to take it away. Well, first of all, you're not alone in that mentality. A legitimate concerns, for instance, with the Apostle Paul. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he said in verse 7, and this is really important to start here because it notes the preface of why this was allowed to continue, lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest to be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, so here's your answer, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul's conclusion was, therefore, most gladly I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest on me. And he notes, I take pleasure in infirmities, reproaches, needs, persecutions, distresses, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. So this paradox of strength through weakness is essentially the blessing that an ongoing area of sin can have in your life. Not mm -hmm. to say that, you know, should I sin that grace may abound? No, if you're struggling in this area of sin to the point where it's repeatedly falling into, there's a separate place for wisdom in making what we call amputations. It's in reference to Matthew 5, saying, you know, don't make provision for your flesh to fulfill its lust, that kind of thing. Yeah. But when you're just, you know, grinding your teeth at night with this ongoing struggle and desire, and it's not going away, that your heart is not turned off, quote-unquote, these sort of things, and you're asking God to do it, you're getting the same answer that the Apostle Paul gave for literally what he called not just a thorn, but what in the original language was he describing there? A tent stake. Yeah, not not a small source of irritation. This is a big issue. Quite the thorn. Yeah. And, and I think yeah. the fact he left it, I think the fact he left it ambiguous is more to our benefit than you may realize, because whether it's struggling with for instance, a mental struggle, a social issue, uh, ongoing family troubles, or an area of temptation in your life. It's all going to center around and be built upon the mindset that is more of a blessing to you than the taking it of it away. And what do I mean by that? Well, as someone who still has an ongoing struggle with my own sinful nature, 
the fact that I still struggle with that and have a glaringly obvious object to be reminded of daily, that if I don't have Jesus, I'm going to fall to this thing. I'm going to be in bondage to this thing, that I, on a daily basis, am needing to hold on to the Lord with both hands and say, God, just sometimes keep me from moving right now because it's just that bad. You can apply it to anything else in your life. Then what am I doing? I'm spending time with Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I'm focusing on him. I'm not saying, well, isn't it great that uh, I'm so spiritual? I overcame this thing. How did Paul begin this conversation again? Lest I be exalted above measure. It's really corny. It's really unhelpful. Just upfront for people to say, well, God needs to humble you. And in allowing this sin in your life, it keeps you humble. That's accurate, but it's not actually helpful if we don't understand all the nuance of it. When it comes to our understanding of our own fallen nature, God allowing certain things so that you depend on him more does you more good than you just being free from all sin externally, mm. but allowing the cultivation of the literal worst sin imaginable in your heart pride. Be grateful for that because these sort of buffers, uh, well, keep us from becoming the kind of people that we'd never imagined we'd be and wouldn't even be aware we have become apart from the permission of certain little things. Now, these little things by no means do have large consequences, but when it comes to this ongoing struggle, that's a legitimate answer. And if this is an ongoing struggle, then stay in the fight. When you fall, get back up. Not if, when you fall, get back up. Seek accountability for them. Seek wisdom in it. Because in that practice of pursuing God through the dying of yourself daily and having these tangible reminders of just how weak you are, that's when his power is made perfect in us. It's ugly, but we're just that pathetic. And those are the kind of tools God needs to use to get our attention sometimes. Mm, that's right. Yeah, you know, the only thing I'd add is, you know, Mike, uh, you say, I have a question about why God would not answer a prayer to be helped and strengthened against a particular sin. Well, have you ever stopped to consider that maybe he has? Um, you know, the, the Bible tells us that uh, God gives us all the resources necessary to be more than conquerors in spiritual battles. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, uh, we are told, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the strategies of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Now, notice we're told to take up the whole armor of God. God's provided it, but we need to take it up. You know, it's almost like, uh, you know, I just feel so powerless in my walk with God. Why would God let me be so powerless? Well, mm -hmm. have you asked God in faith today for the coming upon power of the Holy Spirit? Uh, we are told, do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be constantly being filled with the Holy Spirit. So the thing I've discovered in my life, Mike, is it, a lot of times my spiritual defeats come. Uh, I have not because I ask not. Uh, you know, I don't take advantage of the resources that God, in fact, has already given to me. I'm not aware of them. I'm not uh, conscious of the fact that I might be going into a spiritual battle where I'm going to need them. And so they, the full armor of God sits collecting dust sometimes. It doesn't do me a bit of good unless I take it up, unless I, by prayer, appropriate 
these things. It's just like accountability-based relationships with our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Let us uh, not neglect the assembling of ourselves together, as is the habit of some, uh, but uh, all the more, you know, it lets us uh, stimulate one another to love and good deeds, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Uh, we got to hang together. We're all hang separately. So if I don't avail myself of those kind of nurturing and encouraging relationships in my walk with God, yeah, my, my uh, uh, stumbleability is going to go through the roof. But if I do take advantage of those resources that God has provided, um, you know, it's not like God hasn't answered our prayers or that God has left us just to flop about like a gaffed halibut in the, the bait box of life. God's provided us everything that we need uh, to be more than conquerors in Christ. The big question is, by faith, are we going to appropriate those uh, blessings we've already got? Right. So. Yeah, and being in the light with your struggle is a huge part of that. You know, being uh, amongst other people that struggle with the same thing and confession and all that stuff, and you can actually help other people. I know in a couple of weeks we have a um, uh, an AA organization using the facility for a, a, a meeting. I know Bo's dad was knows some of those people. Yeah, he was and, the AA guru. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Um, but they, you know, some of these people are 30, 40 years sober and can share that wisdom with other people. So getting around other people who share the same struggles. I know we have support groups here at, yeah. at church yeah. here. And, I, I mean, not to be facetious, but you can't kid a kidder, can you? Right, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can pull the wool over a lot of people's eyes, but if you're with somebody that struggles with the very same issues you struggle with and has seen what the Lord does, first of all, they have a wonderful gift, at least in my experience, of kind of cutting through the crud, so to speak, yep. uh, being able to speak real heart-to-heart and honestly. Uh, but secondly, they also have compassion. They can look you in the eye and say, yeah, I've been there, and this is how the Lord has worked in my life, and, and this is what he'll do for you. So I think if we uh, take advantage of those resources, we're going to be a lot better off. Yeah, very true. Yeah. Um, well, Mike, thank you for that question. I hope that helps you out with that. We're at the end of our show for today. Sean, thank you. Scott, thank you. You're sure welcome. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back again tomorrow, same time and same place. We hope you have a wonderful rest of your evening. You can use our email address, questionsforhope at gmail.com. If you have any questions in the meantime that we can get our teeth into tomorrow, have a wonderful evening. God bless you guys. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.